fuckers it's max i'm here with 99 i was just gonna say why'd you sound like a sesame street character it's max cute we're just hanging out here it's uh we're not actually sure when you're gonna hear this it doesn't really matter because you're hearing it when you're hearing it that's right could be in a year i mean for us it's not yet thanksgiving but manny and this is so egregious this is so manny Manny decided to take a holiday. <laughs> you believe it? Loser. I hate you. He wanted to spend time with his family. I hate you? I mean, he does it all the time. Right? I don't care. I it. mean, if anybody, you know, could stand to spend a, a little less time, you know. Yeah. It would be Seems that like guy. There's too much time on their hands. That's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Can we get serious now? So we're not sure when you're going to hear this because actually Manny did take a well-deserved break. So we're kind of backfilling. So you might, we might have a little delay on this and when you're hearing it. We definitely have a little delay on the next episode, part two of education. But it is what it is. We'll get them out when we get them out because we got to make them great. And these things are worth the wait. Make you an FTR great again. That's right. Were we ever not great, 99? Yeah, before I was here. You were always here. Yeah, but people didn't know I was here. They just thought you were doing it all. Mm. And I was like, ah, <laughs> if only you knew. So the first few months, this was not great? Is that what you're it saying? It was fine. It was fine. Serviceable. Serviceable. Okay. Listenable, I suppose. Mm. Palatable. Mm. Masterful. Mm. All the things. Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay. Well, you're going to hear part two shortly. After you're hearing this, part two of education, that is, part two of three. And I'm excited for that because we go into, oh, it's a little history. History's fun. Sure. And digging into legal decisions, Supreme Court decisions, and the court cases that kind of shaped the history of, I will say, public education access and kind of the framework that public education is set in. So that's cool. And all of that is to set us up for part three. And part three will be where we are today and the steady march to privatization, all built on the foundational ideas of Uncle Fuck Nugget. Yo, fuck Milton Friedman! Biden to extend student loan repayment freeze as relief program is tied up in courts. Okay. Biden continuing to punt on the payments of it. It's so fucked up. It's not his fault, though. No, it's not. No, he's thankfully punting. Punting in a good way. Oh, yeah, like, yeah. I mean, kicking oh, the can down the road meant, in a good way. Yes, I thought you meant the that it was tied up in court. I was like, that's actually not his fault this time. It's really so fucked up. It's rude. I just want my money. Yeah, it's bad. Depending on when you're hearing this also, we are getting very close to the Georgia runoff, which will determine how much power Kirsten Cinnamon, and Joe Manchin have or don't have. Exciting. And uh, one thing I cannot believe, by the way, is how quickly, I mean, we were joking about it during our midterm bonus show, talking about the endless series of House investigations into Hunter Biden and his laptop that were going to occur. But I actually am stunned at how quickly the media, the conservative media, has dug into that subject. Like, hey, remember the crime wave (laughs) that was sweeping the nation right before the election? Remember the red wave coverage and all the things and Biden's approval rate? All of, not, just gone, and it is just already Hunter Biden wall-to-wall coverage. It's stunning. 
Tucker should make a new documentary called Hunting Hunter. Tucker. Oh, I can't really say what I want to say. Okay. So I'm not going to. The other thing that I'm fascinated by right now is the crypto meltdown. And I'm not doing this in sort of like a, a schadenfreude type of way. It's the the amount of fuckery that has transpired in the crypto markets. Watching this dickhead Sam Bankman-Fried get his comeuppance. And the guy, he was worth $16 billion and then nothing. Like in a week. It's pretty fascinating. There's some really good reporting going on. Nothing I'm totally convinced to link to right now but there's just there's a lot of good stuff out there because the younger tech bros are losing their fucking minds about the meltdown and uh, some people are actually putting together some really good explainer videos on, on what's going on so fascinating to go down that rabbit hole I do think at some point we should be looking at the crypto markets but I want to do it again contextually and wrap it around the idea of, of just how money moves around the world, monetary policy, and maybe in the context of looking at like the ECB compared to the Fed, compared to, you know, the uh, Asian monetary policy. So I just, I think it's all very interesting stuff. But hey, Sam Bankman-Fried, dude that was trying to buy politicians as a newly minted billionaire, go fuck yourself. Wait, guess what? What? Elizabeth Holmes. Oh, yeah. 11 right. years. 11 years is a lot. I don't know why I think it's so funny. <laughs> like, I just, I saw someone say that it was, there was some internalized misogyny about the way we're celebrating. And I, I can see that, but I, for, I can see that for other people. For me, I'm like, I feel like I equally want the demise of men. So I'm allowed to root for the demise of one woman. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's allowed, right? Like balancing the scales. Well, if it makes it any better that Henry Kissinger was like a big time seed investor into it and so he got burned, maybe oh, that I know. helps, I right? I know, I know all of it. I know. You know what I'm saying though? Yeah. Like Yeah, and if Walgreens she was the pathway I mean, to, to fucking over these guys, then great. And I think Walgreens is like a pretty bad employer. Is it? I believe so. Like they have they had a lot of there's a lot of shit that went on at Walgreens, I think, especially during the pandemic. Mm. Maybe even some Trump donations. I know CVS definitely did. For real? Oh, yeah. There's a lot of the drugstore mafia. <laughs> I've been to Woonsocket. Excuse me? I've been to Woonsocket. I don't know what you're saying to me. It's the home of CVS. Oh. Woonsocket? Woonsocket. So they put socks in the wounds and that's the origin? Something like that. Okay. They really are the mafia. CVS Caremark, man. Ooh, they are the drug <sighs> mafia. Yeah, but they're coupons. <laughs> I swear to God, their coupons can't be beaten. Nothing delights my children more than a trip to CVS. It's just it's the, the my, craziest thing to my witness. My sister can, I swear, every time we go, $150 minimum. That's how I feel about my local health food store. It's absurd. It's because it's expensive there. But I go, I'll go in for a thing. I'm like, oh, I need that thing. I come out, it's like, boop, that'll be $150. Be, oh my I God, found the why are my too arms narrow. filled? Found the aisles too narrow. Where? At the store. The one I'm talking about? Yeah. I went when I was watching your dogs. Because you made me. You told me I had to go. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. And I felt like the cashier was mad at me because I didn't have like a co-op or whatever. Mm. And uh, they didn't have Frank's. Frank's what? Hot sauce. No? No, I had to buy Cholula. It's a very small store. I know. They're, but it's Frank's. They're building another bigger one. Oh, okay. Yeah. Maybe they'll have Frank's then. 
I th- they should. Yeah. It was just kind of a stressful experience. I didn't know what to do. I'm sorry. It's okay. I, I love it there. It's, it's very much my happy place, but it is definitely like it's just fleecing me every time I go in there. Yeah. It's good to have a Except place. Except for their prepared foods, which are totally reasonable and fucking delicious. That I don't I don't usually fuck with that stuff because it's usually not vegan. Because you even mm. health food isn't like it's not necessarily doesn't mean vegan, you know? Mm. It's not necessarily doesn't mean vegan is what I just said. That's a that's a triple negative. It's not necessarily doesn't mean. <laughs> I don't know. All right. It might not be vegan. Is that what you're? Uh, yeah, it means okay. some person somewhere said vegans don't matter. Oh wow. Speaking of this, I I, even if this comes out after Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. hey. If you don't even like turkey, don't make a turkey because millions and millions of turkeys are killed every year for Thanksgiving. And it's really sad. Turkeys are very smart. They're very loving animals. Uh, They're friendly and they're caring. And I don't think they deserve to be killed and eaten. So be the change you want to see in the world. (laughs) Where we go for where we're going to be for Thanksgiving is is up by my in-laws. And they have wild turkeys running around where they are. And they are so big it's like disorienting well, when they're, yeah them. they're like almost they're like they're feral and they're eating street food so those aren't they, it's like pigeons they're pigeons at that point and they're fucking enormous yeah it's like I, i'm like is that an ostrich what am i looking at they here? have them all over staten island what I have, yeah i have a friend from staten island i find that weird oh they're ever it was some guy like brought turkeys once it's sort of like you know how there's some peacocks here oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it's similar type of vibe peacocks are fucking loud They're so loud. I like peacocks. They're very... You are a peacock. Peacocks are men. I'm a peahen. You are a peahen. Thank you. I learned something. Yeah. Peahen. Yeah. Peacocks. How can you tell the difference? The, the, the feathers. Women don't have... The female birds don't have the plume. Oh, so they're not as cool. No, it sucks. It's... Yeah, yeah the flamboyant looking birds are always the males. Hmm. Like across the board. Hmm. Yeah. I think it's a mating thing. And when they mate, they do this thing where they shake their feathers like a fan and it goes like. Oh, my God. That's so weird. That's the sound I make when I'm mating. Yeah. You shake your little tail feather, yeah. your little booty. Oh, wow. You go. Maybe I'm a peacock. That's actually, honestly, it was a really good Foley sound. Like, that's what it sounds like. Hmm. Look it up on fuckers. Okay. Okay. All right. Let's get into some emails here. Kicked off by our very good friend, Asoke. I was in high school from 2015 to 2019. It's okay, a baby. I love it. In high school, I didn't realize how bad the education system was. I thought that everyone had a pretty universal education. Only when I became a senior and then got older did I realize that everyone did not have the same education. My high school was very, very good. Teachers really cared about their students beyond a test score and made sure that kids were given what they needed to succeed. I hope America can learn to treat the teachers better because they impact the students' education so much. P.S. 99's quip about John Stamos not being homophobic because he was on Glee had me rolling on the floor. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Good stuff. Soke actually went into some greater detail about a different grading system that their school used, and uh, which I found interesting. They said a lot of students hated it, but I think it helped take in the knowledge better, so... Actually, I'm not going to read this anyway. 
We didn't have a traditional grading scale per se. We used standards-based grading. With this, you get a score of a one, two, three, or four. Three was proficient, four was exceeding. Anything below three was not proficient, so you had to retake those parts if you failed. It's a little confusing. I can explain more if you like. It's actually, I don't know what philosophy that is, but it is part of the it is part of the growth mindset education trend where it's not about mastery of the information. It's about the process of going through it. So it's like, if you failed that test, that's really, okay, so you didn't have the information at that time. Where did we go wrong in the process? Let's go back and see if we can cure it. And if you can get it the second time, the third time, whatever it is, it's really about the process of mastering the learning, not the specific information. Because a lot of us really don't take the information that we get in the early education years and then just have it for the rest of our lives. In fact, we forget most of it. The idea is to facilitate the learning process. And this sounds like a system that really leaned into that, which is interesting. So those are the discussions that we need to be having rather than the culture war discussions that they're having to try and distract us. So appreciate that. And then we have Stephen Jay, who gives a little different take on it, 99. Yeah, so Stephen said, in high school, I had an IEP because I have dyslexia, dysgraphia, and ADD. The unfortunate thing for me being a high school student in the state of North Carolina is the school found it was easier to just ignore the IEP, so I went through the first two and a half years of school without it to save the high school money. I was once told by this teacher, and I quote, dyslexia is a bullshit lie told by lazy students. To make up for the deficit, due to the lack of education I deserve and didn't get in high school, I wound up having to go to a very expensive specialty college, but by all rights, I should have gotten the extra help when I was in high school instead of when I was an adult and it was harder to learn. I do hope one part of the educational specials will mention how the school system tend to not do as well with students that have learning disabilities, especially in certain states. Yeah, I think that's like twofold. Uh, one of my best friends is a special education teacher and uh, in high school. And a lot of her main issues, you know, because obviously she's in a place that values it because she has a job. Mm. So, you know, intrinsically uh, they, they do that. But the parents, some of the parents of the kids do not, they don't want they see it as a social stigma. Yeah. My even one of my my high school, my close high school friends, we were I saw her recently, and she never liked school. She never excelled. She's not stupid, you know, like she's not a stupid person. School just wasn't her vibe. She said that when she was younger, her mom was told that she had dyslexia, and her mom said, No, she doesn't. And that was that. Wow. So I'm like, your whole life, of course you didn't do well in school, and of course you did you hated it. You couldn't read properly. Like wow. your brain, yeah. So there's that huge portion. But yeah, when it comes to the schools, I mean, there are teachers that will fight against accommodations. That's why the the accessibility departments in colleges exist. But every student should be given the accommodation. Even honestly, if one kid who doesn't have, you know, a set IEP or accommodation needs more time on one test, give it to them. It's all it's so funny because it's so artificial. Like when we're in elementary school, they say, this won't fly in middle school. When you're in middle school, they say, <laughs> this won't fly in high school. Then they say college and college, anything flies. That's true. And then it's like, I don't need to go to my locker in five minutes in the real world. You know, I don't need to have 45 minutes for a test because those are artificial parameters instituted by some person somewhere. So right. especially, you know, especially if you have specific accommodations, it's really sad. And I'm sorry to go through that, Stephen. I'm going out on a limb saying this because I think that my perspective is definitely colored by the part of New York that we're in. We're in a part of New York where the schools are extremely high performing. I'm going to say as a general rule, that is not true across the board. And 
the funding for the districts absolutely matters. I mean, it is totally consequential. There is a direct line between the amount of tax revenue that the schools get and the outcome for the students that are there, without a doubt. That being said, and again, I'm I'm going out on a limb here because I can't speak for Syracuse. I can't speak for the most, you know, rural, let's say Plattsburgh or, you know, really super rural areas of New York State. But we have a very robust commitment to accommodations and special education in this in this part of New York. If anybody is from a different part of New York and you have a totally different experience, I would actually love to hear about that. Moreover, if you are in a state that does not value special education, then would love to hear what that also looks like and and what it's like in practice. Yeah. Similar to Asoke, I was very privileged in all of my schooling experience. It was public school, but I went to a really small elementary school. There were like less than 400 kids in the whole place. And we had multiple elementary schools in our district and um, we had like the most robust special education program. So, you know, we had like multiple teachers dedicated to it. We had resource room, Mm -hmm. we had reading room, we had all of, we had, you know, English as a second language. And we also like, they, it was so normalized in my school, you know, because I think in other places, kids don't have exposure to, and they're not taught about other children, you know, with disabilities and kids can be mean. And it's all just about educate, like Mm. asking the question is okay, but you know, education is the most important part that they're just like us. Uh, It's just, you know, people who have disabilities, people don't have disabilities. So it was really interesting. And then even in high school, it was like, you know, it was a thing. It was fine. It was fully integrated. So I know so many special education teachers. It's, it's, it's actually kind of astounding. I think it was, I mean, my personal, I think it was, it's a good uh, avenue for psychology majors to go down. Mm, That's that my, sense. I mean, be, where you get to, to kind of do both. It's mm-hmm. in a more creative environment. Mm-hmm. That's what my best friend did. She, the aforementioned, none of the aforementioned best friends on last week's episode. Oh, the different, you know, right. Different, yeah, best different friends, tiers. Right, new best friends. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. This, well, this is my oldest best friend. Um, oldest in time, not in age. But she... Yeah, she was a psychology major, but like didn't want to be, you know, a psychologist. Mm-hmm. And so she did go back to school eventually and loves, you know, loves her job so much. Yeah. The shit she knows now, holy, oh my, like she gave me a test. It was just like a regular test that uh, she had to do for, I think, when she was getting her master's. And I took it and I like bombed the math section. Mm. I, I forgot how to do regular long. I didn't know how to do long division, like with the thing. Oh, no, I struggle with it. I couldn't. I could not do it. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm not. You need accommodations yeah. for the test. I was like, I'm not trying to just, you know, throw this. You know, I did great on the English, but uh, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm. I'm not even kidding. I stopped helping my kids. Oh, well, that's. With math. Yeah. In like the third grade. Oh, like, yeah. I'm not kidding. I was like, wow, I am. It's not even rust. It's just like I'm I'm an, I'm a disaster. I was n- it was never my strong cool. suit anyway. Because that's also part of it is that we don't know who does long division in real life. Accountants have calculators, you know? Mm-hmm. You don't need to do written down. I understand that that's the mechanics of learning. I mean, mm-hmm. there's the whole common core debate obviously that sort of butts up against that. But even when I was in school, I didn't have any, you know, common core didn't exist yet. And I had many, many a crying fight with my dad trying to get math help. Oh, so, so bad. Um, and we got off topic. But yeah, I mean, it's just it is interesting because, you know, I went to school upstate. I saw the, you know, the schools, the high schools there, mm-hmm. the middle schools. It's a different world. Yeah, it's when totally. funding, you know, when you have 
the amount of people I had in my elementary school, elementary school, and maybe the whole district of children. And I guess that's part of the curiosity that I have about the the figures that are weighted towards accommodations in schools, not where we are, mm-hmm. because part of the state formulas, like one of the reasons that New York State is an expensive place to just be, is because we have we do fund a lot of these things. We fund a lot of infrastructure. We fund a lot of education. We fund pensions and and all of those things that have people saying, oh, I'm going to fucking move to Florida, blah, blah, blah. Go, go ahead. But you'll see what you miss, especially if you're going to raise a family in these areas that do raise not focus family. on this stuff. A family in areas like, you know, Florida. There is no greater thrill on earth than meeting a walk-in for the first time. So the funding mechanisms should theoretically be weighted to districts that don't have the local tax revenue Mm. and they should be able to like so again where we are in the state there are poor districts that have outstanding special education departments outstanding because i think that's part of the calculus in new york state to make sure that they bolster the funding for that they don't have money for athletics for the arts programs, anything that people would these days consider discretionary, mm-hmm. even though I think that they're so fundamental to building the whole child. So arts we'll and athletics. Build children. They're not objects. They are too. As F. Get a couple. They're just things. I don't they're want just, one. They're just things. Not now. That you construct and you mold. But also facilities. Like that's where you see a lot like the wear and tear. Hiring of enough teachers to you know accommodate, to have small class sizes and all those kind of things. But special education seems to me to be something that, at least in our state, is valued enough where I wouldn't be surprised if somebody in a very, very impoverished rural district in the state also did have funding for special educators. Doesn't mean they can find them, though. Mm. And that's a tricky thing as well. So a qualified special educator is, like you're talking about with with your friend, they learn a totally different discipline than somebody going for, you know, just a regular education degree. So interesting stuff. Did you know, I meant to tell you this on our last post-show musings, but we uh, we had to wrap up quickly. My whole life, basically up until I was 14, I was going to be a teacher. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, I know that 14 is not that old, but I was like every time, it never faltered when Why? I was a kid. I loved school and I loved, I loved some of my elementary school teachers and mm. I just... I, did, I saw it all. I saw having my own classroom. I mean, you see, you know what my desk looks like. Imagine if I was a teacher and having a classroom. You'd be an unbelievable teacher. Truly. I don't. I don't know anymore. You'd be amazing. <laughs> Maybe not high school. I always wanted to be elementary school, like specifically. And then I think I think I might have actually told the story in the podcast that I had a teacher in eighth grade, who absolutely nobody respected. She wasn't even a bad teacher. She just had no command of us. Like, Mm. it was writing enrichment, so it wasn't a real class. I mean, it's an important class, but, you know, it was like a bullshit elective for us. (laughs) And these kids just, I didn't respect her either because I I saw the way other people. Yeah, it wasn't mean, but it was just like no participation. Like, this is a 13, 14 year old awareness of like, this was bad. And then I, that, that made me not want to be one again. But as I got older and like in senior year, 11th grade, having to figure out what I wanted to do, where I wanted to go to school, it came back and I decided, okay, I'm going to be an art teacher because art's been what I'm good at my whole life. Art and words, art and like English I was good at. And in high school, I started taking, I basically took all art classes. So that's why, again, to Ahsoke's point, when I got to college and I'm jumping around, but I did, I went to art school for a little bit 
And I had experience in the dark room. I had experience with, you know, pottery, with putting stuff in the kiln, with all of these things. We had an advertising class. Like we had, uh, we the entire basement of our school was an art center. So I spent my Amazing. whole day there. I, like my class, my my schedule senior year was like my only real class basically was gym and math. Did you see the thing on? It was either Instagram or Facebook that somebody shared. Like we found a video of 99 in high school, in grade school. No, no, I have not. Spot, uh, the spot the deadhead video. Was it like, oh, it's a little kid? Yeah. Oh, I've seen, yeah, I've seen a bunch of those before. Uh, they're really funny. Yeah, that was, I mean, I was a little shyer it's than a that. a little blonde girl with curly hair and um, glasses and she's just jamming out like to a jam band when everybody else is sitting still. Yeah, that probably was Adorable me. Adorable little 99, baby 99. <laughs> yeah, but, um, but yes. Eight and a half. <laughs> I was going to be an art teacher and then my 10th grade English teacher who was probably one of my favorite teachers of all time. I still am in contact with him, but he was like, don't do it. He said, it's not <laughs> the, the economy for teachers then was so bad that mm -hmm. it was like multiple teachers were like, uh, -uh Get out. there's no future here. Mm -hmm. There's too many, no money. And I was, I was 15. And so I, I thought about it. I didn't think about it. And then, you know, obviously it didn't end up there, but. The exodus from the profession resonated with me in reviewing those numbers for part one because, and again, I think it's because of the stage of life that I'm in. So yes, I know a lot of special education teachers. They, for the most part, seem to stay in the discipline. Yeah. And I don't know what that is. Like, I don't want to speculate as to, as to why that craft. is. The ones that I know are very, very special human beings. But, but I, yeah, again, stage of life that I'm at I'm friends with a lot of teachers and I know a lot of people that left the profession I you <laughs> you're phrasing it like you just because you're a certain age you have teacher like you just at, at 50 you get teacher friends that's the way you're phrasing it I think it's just because you have a close teacher friend so you have other close teacher friends uh, I'm just making fun of the way you phrased it became we became <laughs> friends with our kids teachers and I, so I think that that's. Well, I think that crosses a boundary, and because we they live in be a fired. we live in a tight community. Nope, they should be fired. Mm. That's unprofessional. Mm. I also have family in education. I know, I'm just kidding, right? And so, and I'm so I'm actually trying. To, I think I actually know and I'm friends with more teachers than I am of anybody. Of, Humble brag. Have friends in any other professions, if that makes sense. Sure. Like I don't hang out with a lot of doctors. Our Scottish friend's wife is a teacher. She's a, well, now she's a principal. Now she's an administrator. Yeah. Now she's a big And you have to deal. get your admin certification. That's a thing. That's yep. that's more schooling. Yep. And then they make you take classes if you want to do, what is it, steps they call it? Yes. So you go up steps. She is probably the most patient and kind person that I've ever met. She is so perfect for that role. She's just, she's like, look it up in the dictionary type of like, oh yeah, okay, that makes sense. She's just such an educator. She's, she's wonderful. Anyway. All right, <laughs> I have to put my glasses back on. Hang on, big deal here. Wow. Ooh. Now Logan said I did not verify this. By the way, did you? No. Okay. But we're gonna we're gonna put it out there anyway. Y'all should give a shout out to the podcast. Have you heard? A very smart podcast talking about the education system and the challenges it's facing. Now it could be hosted by Logan, so we might just be <laughs> given a free shout out, and that's totally fine. So if anybody checks that out and can verify that claim, because we have yet to do so, uh, go for it. Now let's get into some general feedback. And uh, there were a couple of responses to our continued call for community building and engagement. Yeah. So Nathan W. said, there was a thread in this week's show notes about Discord or some other non-sucked platform for community engagement. 
Building communities is hard, period. It takes a lot of intentionality to set guidelines, enforce them fairly. Fairly? Enforce them fairly. I'm like a newsies. Uh... Uh, a newsies, plural. That's why I got tripped up there because I said newsies and I couldn't stop myself. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and stru- said them fairly or whatever and structure spaces for constructive, constructive. All right, fuck this. <laughs> you can leave this in, Manny. This is what happens. <laughs> Building communities is hard, period. And so is speaking. It takes a lot of intentionality to set guidelines, enforce them fairly, and structure spaces for constructive engagement. And even then, there's a chicken-egg problem for whether people find the space worth following. But when you have content to build around, there's a lot of potential for positive organic outcomes. And Discord is one of the better places to do that right now. So Inigo G and Asoke also wrote in about Discord, I think with varying degrees of support for it. I think it was in Inigo's email, he was saying maybe uh, the familiarity with the platform based on age and comfortability with it. Asoke is a big fan of it. She was talking about how I said we could do movie screenings. So it's hard. I mean, again, we've talked about this before. It is. It's, you know. It's just us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's that's what I was going to say. That's so, a big struggle for us, I think, is that, yeah. you know, we've got just enough funding to kind of keep on keeping on, but we don't have the type of funding that would allow us to really expand these opportunities or bring on some other resources. Yeah. Because one of the things that we do believe in is we believe in compensating people for their time. That is extremely important to us because, you know, we both kind of grew up in environments where, I guess when you're in more of the creative space, there's an expectation that a lot of people will work for free to earn mm-hmm. their way into it. And Make it's your just bones. Not, yeah, exactly. And it's just not part of our personal belief system. So as such, that's why, you know, we have to put out calls for funding and we try to do things the right way. There's also just the we are consumed because it is just the two of us. And then Manny has to you know turn this into the magic that it is. We are we are literally consumed with putting these things together the right way. And being very critical about the content and the way the way that we approach the audience and the listeners. So even when you think about putting show notes together, conservatively, if you had to just scraping all of the like, think about this for a sec, like 99 scrapes all of the social platforms, all of the emails, then filters them out to make sure that they're time stamped, that they're relevant, that we have the person's name right, that we put things in a certain order and we go through them. We have to put all that obviously together in a show and put it out there. It's hours and hours to put this together. Yes? Fair? Yeah. I mean, it really is, Mm -hmm. right? But then there's also the things that 99 does on the flip side of, you know, when the episode is all done and we say, oh, that's a wrap. It's great. And we send off the audio to Manny. 99's job just begins at that point in putting the arc together. And we've talked about this before. So I don't want to belabor the point, but like, it's almost like, when my brain goes to doing more for the show, it's always more content, not community engagement. A, it's not something I'm comfortable with. It's not something I can control. It's not a, and when I say comfortable with, it's not a, it's, these platforms aren't like easy for me. They're not natural and native to me. So like I was on Discord once when I went on J Best of the Less Discord. And I was Jay, fucking. First name J, last name Best of the Less. <laughs> yeah. I was fucking lost. I mean, I'm being honest. Like, I was just lost. It's It's a lot for me to take in. I could teach you. But, yeah, no, I think that's totally fair. I think the compromise I can say is, like, we have the Facebook group run by Knudsen and others now. There's a Reddit community run by someone. I don't know who. Reach out if you want to. I guess that's it. I mean, the Twitter community, obviously, we had people communicating there. But (laughs) um, (laughs) if somebody somebody has Discord, it's okay. 
you know what, Asoki, you're young. I know you can do it. You've explained stuff to, to your older relatives, and I know you can do it. So why don't you, I'm going to make you set up a Discord. You don't have to moderate it. Set up a Discord. This is your homework. Send me the link, and we'll post it. I'll make a site page that has all of, like, we will. But don't we have to be there, like, doing stuff? It's like, it's Slack. It's Isn't just, it like an event no, thing? It's like, a big chat room. Hey, we're all here now. Remember AOL chat rooms? Yeah, but if they want to talk, You know, like, you pretended have... to be a little girl. To make playdates, oh, Jesus, it's like that. Uh, okay, no, and um, what? But isn't part of the fun of it that we we we're that we're there? Like, well, we, we, we can should... pop in. I mean, that's one that I feel more comfortable popping in because I can retain my anonymity. Whereas Facebook, a, I don't have it. I use our page to like I use the UNFTR page to post stuff, and b. I don't want to use it. <laughs> so, right. and then I think a lot of our listeners feel that way. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'll, I have I'll, seen a lot of I'll notes about sign that. in now and again, you know, to Discord. We can try to make a time, maybe like, you know, every month we can have a live thing. So, what would we do on it? We can answer questions. We could, you know, we could have an AMA. Yeah, we could do that. That's we exciting. can watch YouTube videos together, whatever. And we have to type everything, right? Well, I think they have no. They have audio functionality. Oh, yeah, because we would we would oh, use it during COVID, like COVID one that I was, me and my friends would watch stuff. We watched Fiddler on, on the Roof. Yeah, once all together. So I think I set up a profile on that. I don't know how to get back to I it. I know how. I know where it is. You do? Yeah. But Why? Because you we share an email. Oh. And a social security number. <laughs> it's one. <laughs> But um, yeah, and there, the other platform I was alluding to last week is called Geneva, which is this, it's kind of like Slack and all of these in one. To me, it seems really cool. I am going to explore that because maybe I'll set that up and see, you know, we're going to need volunteer moderators, probably. It's not like there are people on Reddit who take moderating. So like some of the subreddits I'm in, these mods think it's there. There have been like, full-on fights and wars and creating mm. new subreddits. And I'm like, we don't need that. Our unfuckers are chill. They'll work yeah. it out. But like, you know, as long as it's sort of um, the honor system or see something, say something. So everyone is their own moderator. Make sure what you're saying is appropriate and just look over the next person. If you see something wrong, report it. Like, I think we can operate under that kind of system without having to worry about it getting out of control. We ha- we do have another suggestion. Oh, yes. Comes from Kevin M. Yes. I don't know anything about it. Do you? Yeah, it's it's the new... Uh, so I'll, I'll just read it. Okay. Is that cool? Yeah. So Kevin M. Uh, also, he, Kevin M. lives in Japan, and I sent stickers. They were unsure that they could get a sticker in Japan, and I said, I'm going to send you. are going to be the first sticker holder in Japan, and they're going to put them on... Um, How many forever stamps did you have to put on that? Uh, I don't know. I printed it out from my stamps.com account. Hmm. Yeah. Sorry. Not a sponsor, by the way. No, just... Just something we use. Genuinely <laughs> value the service because I don't mm-hmm. have to go to the post office. 99 hates postal workers. I don't hate postal workers. unions. No, it's I hate going with... Because you never come with me and you make us go with our other friend yep. who hates being there more than I do and then he's mean to me. <laughs> so, and I have to go... I, I have to go in his death car. I hope he hears this. <laughs> God, I hope he hears this. He's going to be too busy now. Yeah. Yeah. He's a post officer now. <laughs> is that what they call them? Post officers? I've had this conversation before. Postal clerk. Post officer. Post office. You're a post officer. People call them the mailman or the mail person. Carrier. Right? Letter carrier. But I think it should be I'm po- a letter post carrier. officer. 
It sh- totally should be. Is it not? It is now. I'm can, like, it's one of those things that I'm like, did I say that and it's wrong? One time I said police person <laughs> and my friend makes fun of me all the time. <laughs> you could just say police. <laughs> but um, okay. So Kevin M is using Mastodon and was surprised I didn't mention it. And uh, him and his friend made a Mastodon for their international community. They have over 180 members. Uh, Kevin thinks it's the best option. I think Brian M. also wrote in about Mastodon at some point. Uh, I told Kevin that the only reason I didn't mention it is because I hadn't done the full deep dive on it. You know, I'm much more familiar with Discord. Mastodon and Discord, I think, are the two places people are going most post-Twitter. The uh, Mastodon is completely, it's like open source. So it can't be Elonified. Interesting. But I did, I remember reading somewhere that saying like the, the infrastructure isn't going to be able to support all. Yeah. I don't know if that's true. Like, that's why I hadn't really talked about it. But Kevin, you can be the Mastodon ambassador, the M, M, Mastodon ambassador, M, Mastodor. So you can be the (laughs) M, Mastodor for UNFTR. And Asoke will be the Discord M- okay. ambassador. <laughs> They'll just all be ambassadors. Knudsen will be Facebook. And one day you guys can all go to a Halloween party dressed as the logos. You really took that all the way. I appreciate that. Yeah. That was neat. Thanks. Okay. Who's going to create a Snapchat? I'm just kidding. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, but do you think that non-fuckers will eventually find our TikTok? <laughs> and all the dances that you and I do? Please. No? Okay. You can't dance. You don't know that. Yeah, I do. No, you do not. I don't ever want to see you dance. Actually, I feel sick thinking about it. <laughs> okay. Like, what mean. are you? What are you doing? Like, what are you, what are you doing? Like the Running Man? You doing the Cabbage Patch? I'm not talking the sprinkler? about it now. I'm talking about it now. What's your favorite line dance? Like a like a group dance, the electric slide. Boogie woogie woogie woogie. Yeah. I mean, in my day, I was a big Macarena guy, but Macarena, the <laughs> Macarena. Yeah, you know. That's okay. how big I was. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I'm into the cha-cha slide, of course. Okay. Crisscross. Crisscross. Cha-cha now, y'all. And obviously, Cotton Eye Joe. Can't be beat. Right. Where do you come from? Where, Where do you, do you go? go? Yeah. All right. Um, well, you have another one here. I do? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, Dan H. is finally excited to send this email. Nope. Is excited to finally send this email to the crew at ENFTR. Found this podcast in mid-June following my parental leave after the birth of my son. Congratulations. I hope you named him Max. I started with a two-part Amazon episode and immediately knew to get the most out of the show, I'd have to start at the beginning. It's taken me a few months. Okay, five, but I'm all caught up. Wow, good on you. So (laughs) Dan sent like a really thoughtful breakdown of his favorite episodes. I saw that, yeah. And some really great feedback. Obviously too much to go into detail here, but we, you know, we read all of it as we do with all our emails. Mm -hmm. And thank you, Dan. It was awesome. But I, uh, if you're not on the Facebook group, I know obviously we just said some people don't want to, but if you are comfortable there, why don't you post your whole email and and be a good convo starter. And I, I implore most people to do that. Or all. How about all? Not even most. There you go. If you send in a really thoughtful email, you know, copy it before you hit send and just say, hey, I just sent this email in because as unfuckers know, we can't can't respond to every email like we used to be able to. Can't even respond to them all here. So the important part is for you guys to chat about it. Yeah. Somebody had recently shared in that group, uh, what episodes would you send to people to get them? You're just a full on lurker. Oh, totally. You're in the group, basically. Totally. Oh. I'm an old man, so where else am I going to go? I'm going to go to the Facebooks, right? Okay. 
but it was kind of instructive for me to see how different people think about it. And I think it depends, obviously, on what your own personal interests are and where you would want to start. There seems to be a little bit of a consensus among the handful of people that responded to it that economics of racism is still like probably one of our better shows and better places to start. So yes. anyway, now Amanda R. said from an article found here, and we will put this in show notes, progressivereform.org. A 2021 report from the Economic Policy Institute found that workers are deprived of an estimated $15 billion per year through minimum wage violations alone. But state and federal enforcement only recovered $1.7 billion in unlawfully withheld wages between 2017 and 2020, only 2.8% of the estimated $60 billion stolen over that four-year period. The true magnitude of wage theft is almost unknowable because most wage and overtime violations go unreported. Absolutely. I mean, one of the upsides, if you can call it that, to our really mean and atrocious immigration policy and the fact that there's been so much theft from the bigger companies that we have more job openings than we have people to fill those jobs right now is that some people have had the ability, I think, to move on and command a higher wage and get on all the aspects of, you know, whether that creates an upward spiral of inflation and all that stuff. And we've talked about a lot of that before. But I'd be curious to know and see when they update these figures in a couple of years, if 2022 and now heading into 2023 actually helped balance out that equation, because I've, I know so many people were able to upgrade their minimum thresholds that uh, it I, I'm guessing that there was a real comeuppance in a lot of the service industry in particular that had to just demand. Side note, there still are not people to fill a lot of these low paying jobs. And if these companies too don't paying. get fucking hip to the fact that it's because people can't live on these Nobody fucking wages to work and they have anymore. options, everybody's working and people still can't find people to work. What the fuck does that tell you? So I was at a, I had a very, very long turnaround drive this weekend i was on the road for fucking ever and i stopped at a place in the middle of one of the east coast states it was a huge i mean there not a lot of places to stop so this place was absolutely jam-packed right so for for gas and for food and what'd you get nothing okay because there was only one fast food place open and there were maybe 10 of them in there hmm. with one open the place fucking jammed. The, the line was out the door. Interesting. Because these are not great fucking jobs for people. And we have overbuilt the lower end of the economy to such a degree where people don't have to do this. It's one of the reasons that the Fed continues to do this, all the rate hikes, to try and push us into a more recessionary and corporate favored environment for wages. It's fucking bananas. So I am curious to see if we were able to cut back on some of the wage theft because agreeing with Amanda R. and the assessment from progressive reform, wage theft has been an, um, just an, because there weren't as many options for people on the lower end of the spectrum in, in the workforce. They're just, you know, there's wage theft all the time. Yeah. In the anti-work subreddit, there's like every day 50 stories, someone posting something and everyone being like, this is wage theft. That's right. File a thing. But there's also, there's so many things in, you know, people will post a story and then be like, get a lawyer. It's like, <laughs> that's also, not everyone can just afford to get Jesus a lawyer. It's the, it's the default answer. And it, it frustrates so many people where it's like, 
Sometimes you can't. And sometimes you literally, if you make waves at work, you could get fired and lose your entire livelihood and whatever. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's just so tricky. And just let's remember that in true classic Marxist philosophy, all profit is wage theft. All of it. Wow, pop off. Right? So this is, we have a long history of acknowledging that, of understanding it as like the, a baseline of economic theory. What's interesting to me right now is we touched on it, I think, in the last um, show notes. The layoffs in the tech sector mm. are extraordinary because they're trying to preserve their profits. They're trying to preserve their, their share prices. But the layoffs are coming. These are expensive people. The rationale for it that I keep seeing on the business channels is, well, they need to right-size their organizations because they all expanded for COVID. Maybe, maybe, (laughs) in the case of Amazon, fucking maybe. Except that the people that aren't getting laid off right now are still in the fucking warehouses, right? When when you talk about these big tech companies, you talk about Twitter and you talk about uh, Facebook, Meta, Facebook, they didn't ramp up for fucking COVID. That's not a thing that happened. They increased the advertising dollars because those dollars were leaving the entertainment field and coming into digital platforms, but they didn't scale up with their engineers. They didn't scale up to meet the demand of an influx of customers. As a matter of fact, a lot of them saw a decline in the number of customers on the platform, you know, or they hit their, their, their threshold. Amazon is the one physical world reality that you can equate okay they had to scale up so they're probably going to scale back absolutely going to happen and it's going to happen with contract labor it's going to happen with people that are building there's a lot of people that were actually hired to construct these facilities and to run them and do whatever and that will retrench a little bit but these other platforms are simply recognizing that this is a convenient time to maintain their profit margins because their platforms are maturing and they're not going to grow at the same levels that they used to. And all of those profits are wage theft to some degree or another. You don't, you don't have to call it theft, but it is exactly it, it, it's it's money that would otherwise that is sitting in shareholders pockets that could otherwise would otherwise be sitting in the, in the pockets of the people that work for these companies. Anyway, let's continue with Alex P before we get to some uh, some bad news for the show from uh, Patrick McGee. So Alex said, he said part of the housing problem was that there wasn't enough housing in the country, but there are 16 million vacant homes in the country. Well, there are just over half a million homeless people. There's absolutely enough. If we as a country cared enough to do anything about it, quote, housing first is the only policy needed. I don't know why we demand anything less than what we need. So this deserves more exploration. But my immediate response to that, Alex, is where's the housing? So I know that in San Francisco, in New York City, and in, let's say, Seattle proper, it's where a lot of the homeless population is at its at its peak, and there aren't houses in those areas mm. for a multitude of, you know, of reasons. There's, there's different factors in every city and in every part of the country as well. So, you know, geography matters, weather matters, opportunity so if there are a lot of vacant homes sitting in the middle of Arkansas, it doesn't necessarily follow that we can rehome people that might otherwise be connected to, let's say, New York City and say, well, here, we've got a home for you in Arkansas. Go live there and try to establish a life there where they'll wind up in the same situation that they were, where they wouldn't be able to afford it if there's no economic opportunity. So we have a very big structural imbalance in this country, without a doubt. New housing starts 
that are affordable in these areas where the homeless populations are the biggest is really kind of the crux of the issue. That and, and the one way that we dealt with that, by the way, in the 90s and the early 2000s, was we would just uh, simply incarcerate mass numbers of people. And thankfully, that's not happening to the degree that it was, even though we do have areas of this country where the jails are exploding once again, like I just saw an article that they're exploding in Houston. That is always the corporate class way of dealing with mental health issues is to just simply incarcerate people and not deal with the with the core problems. So anyway, I think it's a little more complicated than that, Alex, but it's also something that's worth connecting to another listener who recently wrote in that one of the problems in their estimation is the number of, quote, second homes owned by wealthy people and or second and multiple homes owned by now small corporations that run Airbnbs right. and vacation homes and things like that. You put them all together. There's no question there's enough houses in this country to put people in, and it should be a housing first policy. When Alex mentions housing first, that is a very, very big buzz term in the philanthropic community with people that are dealing with the issues of homelessness, of mental health and addiction. We've had a tendency and a well-intentioned tendency over the past several decades after the Reagan revolution basically threw people out onto the streets and ended mental health care in this country as we knew it. Again, wasn't good then, but that was actually absolutely the wrong response. What's happened since then in the nonprofit community trying to fill in the gaps is they would organized to attack the symptoms of a lot of these issues. And there's there's some new thought and research out there that suggests that you can't help somebody facilitate a recovery with through addiction problems. You can't help somebody who has mental health challenges or perhaps learning challenges or somebody that has, you know, maybe violent tendencies that needs to be in some other sort of therapy or what have you, if they're not housed. So you have to house people first in order to help them level set in their lives. People need to have a sense of place and agency over their personal space before they can begin to do some of the heavy lifting and work that is absolutely required to treat the other things that are that are plaguing them. So anyway, a great discussion to have, absolutely something that we will tackle in the new year. And now onto the bad news for the show from Patrick McGee. The summary of, of his correspondence with us is basically this. When you compare what Biden has accomplished to the list of progressive ideals and values that you see, we've been given breadcrumbs. Biden has stretched as far as he was going to stretch because he was never progressive. Ditto the Democratic Party leadership. Goes on to send some other very, very cogent points, uh, but then settles on, your mostly unscripted discussion of the midterms sadly is helping me understand that we might be much further apart in our views than I ever realized. And despite our many discussions, I don't see that my letters are changing your mind much. I'm guessing that people who start and host podcasts are usually not shrinking violets, unsure or unconfident in their own viewpoints. As you may recall, my goal has always been primarily to influence the influencers. And as much as I've enjoyed the shout outs, I don't think it's enough. So yeah, let me let me just build on this for one second, Patrick McGee, before you uh, raise the fuck this place flag and and move on from our show. That response, unscripted response, primarily during that for that midterm episode, was to kind of hit the pause button and say, let's reflect on the candidate that we didn't want, Joe Biden, who did say nothing will fundamentally change. I'm the safe bet. I am the anti-Trump vote and the only person who is electable in this field because I can go right down the middle and basically guarantee people some sanity, some stability, but no fundamental change. 
that was Joe Biden's kind of promise. And he has delivered on that promise, but a lot more as well. And the reason I know that is because I can benchmark him against Barack Obama. Well, just go all the again, go all the way back to Johnson's Great Society. Is it enough? No. Does it align with the progressive values? Only slightly and partially in most cases. Here are the incontrovertible facts about what was accomplished over the last two years. And then, as I've said before, it's going to end right now. The only thing we're going to get done over the next two years is the appointment of federal judges, which also needs to happen. But the infrastructure bill, even though I criticized it for being the it's fucked for sure bill because I didn't think the addendum to it that was more important for climate initiatives would ever get passed, was passed but under a different name, and that's the Inflation Reduction Act. If you put them together, it's a multi-multi-trillion dollar effort to beat back the effects of climate change and to help us get to net zero. And, and, and it is also still about probably a third of what is honestly required to get there. But it's a third more, or it's a thousand percent more than we were able to do under Obama. The student loan forgiveness. Again, you've heard me say I have a fundamental problem with the way that we are approaching this. But in the campaign, he said I would forgive up to 10000 And he doubled down on that for Pell Grant recipients, which actually makes the numbers vastly larger because most of the people that hold student loans are also recipients of Pell Grants. And they will be forgiven up to $20,000 if the Republicans will ever fucking let go of this in the courts, right? Well, that is his promise, plus then double. That is also a very progressive value and mandate. Healthcare, part of it is rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. Some of it is actually fundamentally going to improve the lives of millions of seniors in this country. That is a change that the Obama administration was unwilling to get to. So we've got education policy. We've got infrastructure that was also promised under Obama, was promised under Trump, and was promised even before that, and we just kept kicking the ball down the road, right? Kicking the can down the road or punting, whatever you want to say. How about the extrajudicial, unconstitutional interventions into countries that we are not at war with? Pakistan, Yemen, Somalia, Syria, Iraq, Iran. Go all the way down the list. Has he been able to successfully get us back into the Iran nuclear deal? That's less about the Biden administration and more about the fact that there are hardliners and the Risi administration in Iran back in charge and the fact that that is a very, very charged situation there. But he would go back into it if he felt that the, the pathway was clear to get into it. But if you remember, not so long ago, Obama killed more people by drone strikes than anybody before. And that was authorized exclusively in the Obama White House at first, and then they gave full discretion to the generals to do whatever they wanted to do. In this administration thus far, by my count, we have killed by drone strikes three times. Three times. In my world, that's three too many. Because again, it's unconstitutional, it's against international law, and I just think it's a pig-headed, wrong-headed way to go. 
But that's compared to the thousands of strikes under the Obama administration and then the continuance of that same strategy in a more even more chaotic way under the Trump administration where they had absolutely no idea. So not only did the Biden administration get complete control of that and not do that, but they've actually changed the rules of engagement so that Biden himself has to authorize any strikes. That is a sea change from where we were under his former boss. I can keep going on and on about the fact that this guy has defied my expectations almost every step of the way and begrudgingly so. But if you remember my central theme and point to all of that was it's because of the progressives. It's because these are popular ideas and smart ideas and the direction that this country needs to go that we are getting done what we're getting done. The slow, steady realization, even though they continue to demonize the progressives and Hakeem Jeffries is going to be a fucking nightmare if he takes over the House, right? Because as the position of the minority leader, if they ever get the majority again, he is definitely not a friend and he will work more actively, in my opinion, against the progressives than Pelosi ever did. That notwithstanding, the reason that these things have become popularized and have actually mainstreamed into this administration is because they see the writing on the wall, too. They don't want to say it out loud, but that caucus continues to grow and strengthen and be more vocal. And the more they mainstream these ideas, the more popular they're becoming and the more people are latching onto it. And they're taking credit for it, but trying to suggest that it's incremental. It's not incremental when you benchmark it against Trump. It's not incremental when you benchmark it against Obama and Bush. Certainly Reagan, the other Bush. Clinton, go back and listen to our Clinton series and you tell me, you find the progressive policy in there. Go hunt for it. Go through all eight years in the 90s under Bill Clinton and you find one progressive policy that they implemented that stuck and created positive change for low-income earners and for low-wage workers in this country and for black and brown people or anybody of any different perceived orientation. Didn't happen. In fact, it was the worst of times. So, yeah, is Biden way more progressive than anybody ever thought he was? Keeping his promises at the same time and surprising a lot of us on the left? I hope so, if anybody's fucking paying attention. And it's also not enough. And those two things can both be true. So, Patrick, I don't want you to go. I want to keep fighting the good fight with you. I want you to stay tethered to the show. And for anybody else that's in that same camp, don't leave. Push me all you want, but let's be real and call out the positive things when they happen, because that's what we're here for. We're here to encourage these ideas. And the more we talk about them and the more they get into the progressive lexicon, the more they too become mainstreamed and the more these ideas find their way into policy. That's just how this shit happens. So don't leave. And if you do leave, it's been a good ride and I appreciate the feedback along the way. Yeah, I think <laughs> you longly covered it. But our job isn't to change your mind and it's not your job to change ours. That was what I took from it. Like, there are plenty of times I want to change Max's mind, but I can't. Because we're all people and we all have our, our own set of viewpoints. But meet people where they are. Meet us where we are. We'll meet you where, we, where you are. And diversity of thought is important. So absolutely, here's here's an insider tip. Max needs time. Sometimes it doesn't hit right away. 
but it gets there. So don't give up. It's my old brain. Yeah. And you're a stubborn a of, old fucking a bastard. <laughs> a lot of cobwebs in there. Got to mm. clear them away. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I was emotional. You need to take a deep breath. No, I'm good because okay. you're reading the next part. I know, but right. just thought, sorry. Okay, fine. I won't care about your mental health or anything. It's fine. <laughs> so we're moving on to Facebook. Yes, we are. And these are comments about education. Yeah. So Scott C. said, I've been a public educator for 30 years and got my master's in education 13 years ago. I find that the two things most people don't understand about public education are one, how little curriculum teachers are given. We really are just thrown into it without much direction. And two, what a great success story mainstreaming has been for American education. The ADA forced a lot of mandates on public education's treatment of students with disabilities, and it was absolutely a mess in the 70s. Schools have reinvented how they meet the needs of special education. It has been unbelievably expensive, but other countries are just starting to see that the way we do special education is the right approach. I think we really do lead the pack here. Unfortunately, the gains do not translate into higher test scores and makes it appear like we are financially wasteful. Yeah, hoorah on a lot of this stuff. I was talking with uh, one of my wife's closest friends who... Again, humble brag, you've got teacher friends. ...was involved in mainstreaming for probably much of the 80s and 90s. So had gotten a degree in education in the 70s and then was there like building these programs from the ground up in a very challenging district where we are. You know, so when I posed the question to her, I said, like, what are you most proud of throughout your career? And she said, the success of mainstreaming. Like, it really is something that Finally, we can take credit for in this country for maybe doing a little bit better than in other places and, and proving a model that can be adopted in other you know parts of the world. So I think that's really very cool. The point that Scott rests on here about we need we lead the pack here. Unfortunately, the gains do not translate into higher test scores makes it appear like we're financially wasteful. I'm hoping that part of the elevation of the conversation around education includes the moving away from this type of standardized testing. So we're already seeing it with a lot of schools going test optional and then realizing that the students that they're bringing in, irrespective of their whatever their test scores might have been, because they'll collect them for benchmarking, but they won't use them in the admissions process, that those kids are still performing at a very high level and having successful college careers, no matter what their you know test scores might have said. And we know that the pushback against Common Core and the the push to standardized testing and, and part of what we'll cover in part three in our education series, that had a significant impact on the movement away from test scores and people beginning to see them differently that they don't necessarily test intelligence or capacity or capability and all these different things. So it's really is a, it's a positive development. But then again, I think part of the challenge that we have as a country is like when we talked about in part one, the the baseline for us when we try to figure out how we're benchmarking against other countries or against prior performance in this country or what have you, it is helpful to have data. It is helpful to be able to test to these things to understand where people might be. And that's going to change over time. So if we change the fundamental testing matrix in this country, then we're not going to have great benchmarking data against prior testing initiatives. And we only do this in a periodic way. And again, there's only four major categories that only test at the eighth grade level and two at the 12th grade level. So 
the testing and the benchmarking and the constant like push towards like, well, are we doing better than other nations and how prepared are our kids for the, you know, it feels like we're just kind of testing the wrong stuff. But if we don't test any of this, how do we know how we're going to do? And that really is a tension that is worth working through. These are the conversations that we should be having. I can't even begin. And, and I don't actually think I'm going to get into this. Uh, as far as I have it right now, I, I'm not going to get much into how badly the Gates Foundation, as an example, mm. fucked up the Common Core and the standardized testing initiatives and a group coming without any sort of like foundation in education or understanding of, of you know, cognitive development theories for children and age appropriate type of learning and scaffolding and all the things that we talked about. They just they just flew in with their idea that we should have more rigorous testing, testing to the media all the time, all the time. And how much that fucked up the psychology of the, this nation and also created another movement against compulsory public education. I mean, they really fucked that up. Probably not going to get into that too much, but it's, it's worth noting that they were more part of the problem than they were ever even part of the solution. Really sad shit. Maybe a good uh, quickie. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good idea. Like a follow-up quickie. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. Okay, and lastly, for Facebook, we have Kyle C. who said, couldn't wait for this major on unfucking. I'm happy you're doing it in three parts because there's so much to unpack with that subject. Ain't that the truth? <laughs> Over on Instagram, we actually had some fan art which was pretty cool. What is uh, Jenny H doing? Uh, so, yeah, so we have two things. So we'll do fan art. Uh, at Mo Paints Chad sent in some UNFTR fan art, and it's Max and 99 from the TV show and a cool uh, treatment of our logo, which I want to, like, steal and put on things. It's pretty terrific, actually. So yeah. if we can do that, let us know. Um, but go follow. I think they post it on their Instagram. So thank you for that. It's always cool to see. And then Jenny H sent some uh, audio messages to me on Instagram. And was just talking about a bunch of stuff. And one of her points was how similar we had an unfucker write in. And forgive me, I, I don't remember his name about sharing uh, the articles with, you know, people who might be more sensitive to cursing. Right. So Jenny was coming at it from a different perspective uh, in that she is in academia and really wants to use this as a resource, but feels like she can't in the professional space, which I totally get. You know, I don't really have it's not it's really hard, Jenny, because I hear you. And I think, you know, what the other unfucker was saying, what you're saying is so valid. But like we call you unfuckers, <laughs> you know, it's really hard. We are trying to make a concerted effort to sort of move forward with you and FTR as a brand versus unfucking the Republic so we can operate in more spaces. But I don't know that we're ever going to get to that place where we're completely sanitized. No fucking way. <laughs> and, and I understand like. You know, not in a way of like, last time we were talking about it is not censoring ourselves. I think that still stands. But I think academia can use with some fucking swear words. Um, <laughs> I did Google profanity remover. Remember I Googled that? Yeah. So I found this like software and let me, it's not, it's like a, let's see. Did we break the software? <laughs> no, I'm just trying to find it. So I'm going to link it. I can't remember what it was called. It was a free one. And basically you can just, you know, go to our Substack or wherever our essays will live in the future. Command A, Command C, Command V. So, or Control, depending on if you're a Windows user. You know, select all, copy, paste. It will highlight all of the cursing. It won't highlight when it's uh, an asterisk, which is, you know, the name. 
if it's really important, if you're if you want to source it in a lesson or if you have a colleague who might be sensitive to it, I think you could take that step or just be like, hey, I have this really great resource. It's a podcast. It's it's an it's an essay. They're a little profane. Are you, you know, comfortable with that? For what it's that? worth, a lot of the we have sanitized the essay portion a great deal compared yes. to the audio versions, right? Yes, I'd say more or less. Yeah, I mean, we talked about it. I think when we were talking about with the other unfucker. Um, again, apologies that I'm just calling you the other unfucker, and saying that you you know you've tamped down the cursing in an egregious way where we used to do it and it was just like it was for dramatic effect. It was mm-hmm. you know it was for fun. Uh, it was to be a little. Not salacious, but for lack of a better word, a little salacious and a little a little different mm-hmm. than some other political podcasts. Now I think in show notes, obviously, I mean, let all the let freedom reign on the f bombs. <laughs> in in the regular episode, yeah, you you'll you'll say fuck, but there's this video. Like, go ahead. Oh sorry. no, there's a video of of Miranda Cosgrove, the iCarly. Yeah, I know who it is. Okay, sorry. Okay, huge fan. Huge okay, fan. well, she's getting interviewed, and they asked her like if she curses, and she's like, "I do cuss a little." And they ask what her favorite <laughs> is, and she goes, "Probably fuck." And I feel like I just sounded like that when I was like, mm-hmm. "We say the <laughs> f word," but yeah, I think here it's obviously going to be different. But yeah, in the audio essays, I'm like, "But who, really, Jenny? <laughs> come on, who who can't read the fuck? Who re- can't read the fucking f word? Who?" It's so funny because like you listen to um, friend of the show Danny Bessner from uh, American Prestige hooked up with uh, I think it's Matt Christensen from Chapo and they do a shared podcast called Hinge Points and they go back and they basically look at these like seminal moments in history and then imagine what if and I'm listening to the two of them and they can devolve into like like the the silliest brattiest uncouth language mm-hmm. possible and might also be like two of the smartest people in podcasting like period end of story they're just on it they just operate on a whole other level but like even chapo's success itself like everybody knows as the dirt bag left they have a very misogynistic strain to that show like very much so they are i mean some of the shit that they talk about is fucking terrible and also are extremely bright yeah misogyny is never okay though it's not it's not okay and that's that's What's so interesting is how much that brand has been accepted through the left, because I think you can also be the quote unquote dirtbag left without devolving into such misogynistic tones. I think that's why they were called the dirtbag left, though. Yeah, I think it's part of it. But a lot of it is because they were just they were they were not so kindly calling out a lot of the establishment politicians in a way that people were kind of too afraid of. And I think that's why. And they did it at the right time where they got to be the brand they are. Well, we can be the perfect progressives. And everything we do is perfect, even if it's imperfect, because that's what makes us perfect. That's right. Except for Nathan. Not Nathan. Who's leaving us? Patrick. <laughs> you just you just called out Nathan Sirst, because he's also grumpy sometimes. He is grumpy, but he also, he loves us. Yes. And we love him. I think so. Patrick's going to come back. We'll, we'll, we'll reel him back in. Yeah. And non-fuckers, tell Patrick. No. Don't leave. Don't dox Patrick. <laughs> no, no, not dox him. Just, you know. So we don't know where he Support him, is. support us, right? Think it in your brain. Yeah. Think, clap if you believe. One of those. <laughs> Manifest it. Uh, before we close out, we have to thank a number of people, by the way, for their donations and memberships. We are nowhere close to our goal, but we are closing in on some impressive numbers, and we are ever so grateful for the people that have supported us financially to help us keep doing the voodoo that we do. So, first off, Isoke re-became a member. Yeah. Came back into the fold. 
we've told people before and and people have been very frank and open with us that you know sometimes the scratch ain't there and it's totally okay to dip out and or just you know tip every once in a while or do what have you and we always appreciate whatever contribution comes our way whether it's a friend raiser fundraiser etc so yeah. it's okay welcome back you never the fold have to thank apologize you. seriously no <laughs> sorry i just fully talked over you that's fine my brain was on a delay where i like felt like you were going to be done speaking by the time i started yeah fair but it wasn't okay okay Luis ml is now a member thank you for that and so is lassie by the way the dog the actual dog yeah who's got to be really really getting up there I was talking to my dog last night because I went to see my parents and she's... You heard she, that, right, fuckers? You heard that. What I those? was talking to my dog last night. Oh, yeah. I talked to her all the time. Mm-hmm. All of them. Yep. All three. Okay. So I was talking to my eldest dog, mm-hmm. the light of my life, my angel. She's very old now. Mm-hmm. She's kind of senile and she just like barks and growls. Or mm. She's just like whines. She doesn't know what she wants. She doesn't yeah. want to go, oh, she wants food, whatever. Mm. And I said to her, what are you trying to tell me? Is Lassie stuck in a well? And I was like, wait, no. Lassie's the dog. <laughs> and I said, hey, maybe Lassie is stuck in the well. Like, do I need to go get the dog? Mm-hmm. And how do I get a dog out of a well? So it's weird that... Is there anybody else there at the time or is it just, just two of you talking? My mom was there. Mm-hmm. Marion B is now a member. Welcome to the fold, Marion B. So is Carol SL. Wow, that's awesome. GM Haint is now a member. As election season heated up, I had to step back from all the social political stuff and fall back to funny and sci-fi and funny sci-fi pods and audiobooks. I get that. Boy, do I get that. Only ever bought coffees and coffee in the past, but figured I'd go this way to support for now. Another plea for a light roast option. Ooh, I agree. I have a hankering for a light roast option. You make Truly. the call, bro. Can yeah. I name this one? Yeah. <gasps> yeah. What do you want to call it? Well, I don't know. I have to, I have to like... Get a bag and, yeah. and and sit with it. Okay. Yay. That's a loose but light promise. Roast. Light roast, right? Sure. Is that okay? Yeah. Great. Loose I promise. I couldn't stay away for long and jump back with the election recap and return to the Clinton series where I left off as a speech pathologist who works in acute and, and home health. And I'm very excited to get caught up in the healthcare episodes. Oh, great. Good stuff. Uh, GM Haint says, thanks for all you do. No, GM Haint, thanks for what you did. Yeah. And of course, Nathan Sirs <laughs> yeah. bought us a coffee. This is for 99, making me laugh out loud. I th- Really? I think 99 said, go fuck yourself. I did. Right? Yeah, I said, go fuck yourself. Go fuck yourself. Yeah. Oh, and our buddy bookstore, Kim, bought us three coffees. What did she have to say? Kim is really looking forward to these pieces on education. I used to teach English at the high school level in an alternative school. And have I got ideas about how fucked up the <laughs> system we have is? Right into us. Uh, the question is, how do we change it? Also, happy to have coffee with Maria from Puerto Rico. Who knows, maybe someday in person. It did happen for Bobby McDee after all. That's right. Big yeah. sighting. And speaking of, it's like they they reach out and then they come. So you They've take They've manifested one. one another. They have. Maria from Puerto Rico bought three coffees. Dear Max99 and Manny, I was so worried something was wrong. So glad to have you back online. I'm delighted that you tackled education. I'm halfway through the episode. Look forward to the series. And Max, you're right. I do see this. As a little space to get coffee with fellow unfuckers in far-off places like Bookstore Kim and show my appreciation to someone. I do come here often and read what other unfuckers, new and old, write and enjoy when you call them out and respond. In a way, it's chat and there's a conversation, which comes alive when you read someone's message out loud. All of this while supporting your project a bit here and there. What's not to love? Today, I want to say I really appreciate how thoughtfully you respond to our comments and the issues that we raise. Maria, you know how we feel. We really, truly do love you and this community that we've built and uh, love that you're getting around the world and spreading joy and meeting other unfuckers. It's it's 
to call it humbling is is isn't enough. It's just it's a lot. So thank you. And we had a couple of great reviews. Thankfully, in a while. Oof. Yes, it has. What are y'all doing? Candy Cowgirl said, I really love this podcast. Max 99 and Manny Faces, thank you so much. Candy Cowgirl. I like that name. <laughs> Aaron, a uh, bunch of numbers. Life isn't fair, but it sure is funny. Go on an adventure with Max 99 and Manny through the history of economic liberalism and praise be to the market's fuckery to find an enlightening and joyous perspective of why we're in the position we now face as decent and loving human beings who won the genetic lottery. <laughs> okay. I mean, we should have these... We yeah. should have on fuckers literally write ad copy for us. I know. I went down. I was like, won the. It sounded a little eugenics, but then I realized they meant like we won the genetic lottery. But I, oh. I because we're kind. Oh. So I'm just. I think that's a little. It's a triggering phrase on the outset, you know. But okay. in context, it took me a second. That's why okay. I said it like that. All right. But um, listening to this podcast and supporting it is a good component of the adventure that lies ahead. Thank you, Aaron. Numbers. And Mac to round things out said. Don't always agree. Makes no difference. Never miss an episode. Always interesting and fun. Excellent hosts. Informative. Interesting and fun. Don't ever stop, guys. Woo. Okay, Mac. We, we won't. Now we won't. That's all we got, and that was enough. <laughs> Until next time, unfuckers, I'm Max. And I'm Many Faces. Wait, what? And <laughs> we'll see you.